Amen and amen. How we doing, church? Doing good? You look really good, like better than average good. And you sounded good. Not as good as girl that was up here singing. Good job, Lindsay, right? Was that not amazing? Hey, welcome to our Christmas Eve service. Welcome to our candlelight service. Real service, fake candles. So if you didn't get a fake candle, because I think we might have been out of them, then just at the end of the service when we get to the candle lighting part, just feel free to pull out your smartphone and turn the light on. Most of your grandparents just been on most of the service anyway, so you'll be fine, okay? <clears throat> we are in the fourth week of this series uh, called Rescue Mission, and it'll continue on to next week, and uh, you just need to know this whole idea for the series was my wife Gretchen's idea. And I have found that if I just do what, her say, what she says, life goes much better. Amen, JP, amen. That's just true, especially at Christmas time. And she said, she said when I was writing this, coming up with the sermon series like, I don't know, a year and a half ago, she said, you know, you always say that, that Jesus came on a rescue mission for us and, that, and nothing, nothing is a better picture of that rescue mission than the word becoming flesh, that baby in a manger. And the moment that we get rescued, we become a part of the rescue team. And she said, you should take your podcast and interview our partners uh, that are rescuing other folks in Jesus' name. And so that's what we've been doing. It was all her idea. And when she pitched me the idea, I thought, yeah, this is a really good idea. And a part of the reason at Christmas is because at Christmas time, all of us expect for everything to be made right. We all have this expectation. We sing about it. We're entertained by it. We, we look forward to it. I mean, this is what we know. We know at Christmas time that Rudolph is going to get to play in the reindeer games. We know that. We know that Buddy will be reconciled with his father and Christmas will be saved. We know that Ralphie will not be subjugated to the bunny outfit, but he will get the Red Rider BB gun. We are assured of this. We know that Clark will overcome the adversaries which he is related to, and he will get all the lights to work, and he'll get the bonus check to be able to put the pool in. We know that Kevin will be reunited with his parents. We know Clarence gets his wings, and we know that John McClain will throw Hans Gruber out of the window, and he will plummet to the earth and then go straight to hell where he belongs, to the glory of God. That's what we know about Christmas. That's why we love these Christmas movies, but the message of the gospel is that Jesus has not come to make our circumstances right. Jesus has come that we may be made right with God, have a right standing with the almighty God. That's what the rescue mission is, that the almighty sovereign king of the universe that spoke everything into existence, that he sent his only begotten son, that the word who was God and was with God in the beginning, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the king of kings has invaded our world to ransom you, to pay the price, to take back what is his and you are his. That's what the rescue mission is. Amen. Now, we've been in this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and what Christmas is all about is this, is that we have been rescued from sin, that we have been rescued from sin. That you and I are, buckle up for this if you're new to church, okay? You and I are sinners. Now, I know that if you're really young, that, that bothers you a little bit. And the reason it bothers you is because you're a sinner and you're full of pride and your ego and you're just like, okay, let me just tell you. I know you're like, no, I don't think you understand, Pastor. I had a kindergarten teacher and she told me that I'm, I'm a snowflake and I'm puppy's breath and I'm a Skittle. All right, listen, Skittle. You are a wretched, crooked and depraved, black-hearted, evil sinner at the core of who you are. Don't believe me? Wait till tomorrow morning. 
I mean, you're gonna see all kinds of anxiety and insecurity and grief. It's just all gonna be there, is it not? Because here's what we think. This is crazy. This is why we have to do Christmas every year. There's some parents sitting in the room right now and you've paid some serious coin for something that's wrapped up under your tree right now and you actually believe that when your child unwraps it, it's gonna change them from the inside out and they are gonna gush with the appreciation towards you as a parent that you had deserved all the years of their life and when they don't, when they either break it by 11 o'clock or you forgot the batteries or they get to 11 and they're like, I'm bored, you think you wretched little crooked and depraved sinner. That's what you think in here. You don't say it out loud to ruin Christmas again, but you think it in here, right? And what's hilarious is we look down on our kids, we're like, what is wrong with you? And then all of heaven looks at us, the adults, and goes, you know, you're playing the same game, right? You're playing the same game. That, that even if you get, even if you get your wildest dreams tomorrow, and all, and the greatest present you could dream of. I mean, if you're one of those couples and you walk outside and somehow it's snowing tomorrow and your, your spouse bought you a brand new car, which I never understand, how could you make that kind of purchase and not discuss, what kind of tax bracket are you in? How, I don't know, I don't, that's not how we live. And you're, it'll be very exciting for a very short amount of time and then what happens? It's just your car, man. It can never fully and finally satisfy you. It will keep a McDonald's fry alive just like the car you're driving now. And eventually your car just smells like you. I don't even know why we're into cars. You can't even see you driving it. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Now, if Santa brings you a Harley, that's different. Because Harleys are cool. But you wait till tomorrow. Every single one of us at our core sinners. Don't believe me? So even if we don't hold ourselves to the standard of God's word, we can't hold ourselves to our own standard. You ever break a promise to you? You ever lie to you? You ever make this promise, if you'll get me out of this one, I will never do it again. I'll never drink that again, take that again. I'll never look at that again. I'll never text him again. I'll never do it again. And you do it again and again and again, right? Every single one of us. Here's how I know it's true. Because we're like a week away from New Year's when you're gonna make New Year's resolutions. How did last year's work out? Not good, that's why you do the same one over and over and over and over. You see, the reality is every single, every single one of us need a savior. Amen. And every one of us has a functional savior and the thing that you run to is your functional savior. Some people run to stuff, some people run to relationships, some people think, I got this, which just means you say you're your own savior. And Jesus is the only one that can save us from our sin. You see, every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all sin must be paid for because God is holy and just. It's who he is. But the reason that Jesus is better than Santa is because Santa's just doing naughty and nice. And he only, he only rewards you if you're nice. And Jesus has come to pay for the sin of the naughty and they're not really nice people. So that's every single one of us. Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. There are really four different accounts of the Christmas story in the Bible. One's in the book of Revelation. That was kind of weird. It's got dragons and stuff in it. It's cool. <clears throat> one is from an eternal perspective in John chapter one. One is from Mary's perspective. It's in Luke chapter two. And then one is from Joseph's perspective in Matthew one. So that's why the Luke two version is like three times longer than the Matthew one version because that's Mary and this is Joseph. He just gets right to the point. Here's how his version goes. <clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ by the way, if you're new to Bible study, Christ is his title, not his last name. It means the anointed one, the Messiah. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. The fact that, that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus is not like mythology, this is theology. This matters a lot. This means this is the only man who was ever born not from the seed of man, not from the seed of Adam. Therefore, according to Romans chapter five, he did not inherit this generational disease called sin, but God beget God, and so he was the only one ever born perfect, born without a sin nature. This is why we can sing later in our service, Silent Night, and we will sing, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. This is a really, really big deal. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And what happens in this moment is he gets a very important message from God through an angel that's gonna change his life forever. This is my prayer for you. Now, I'm no angel. Hold your amen, Frank, okay? I'm no angel, but I am a messenger from God. And what I have been praying is I don't know what kind of Christmas you're having so far, but I am hoping and praying that from God you would hear a message tonight that Jesus loves you. He came on a rescue mission for you and that God's got a purpose and a plan for your life and the good news of that message would change your life forever. And so here's what the angel says. Joseph Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For, he's gonna tell him, here's why I want you to name him Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior. They would have pronounced it Yeshua, but it means Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, he's gonna quote Isaiah 7, 14. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That his name is Jesus, which means Savior, also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, Savior, God with us. This is the point of Christmas. I hope you get all your presents and do all the fun and watch the movies and all that, man. I'm not anti any of those things. But the point of Christmas is that Jesus, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, came to save us from our sins so that we would no longer be separated from God, our Father. In fact, this name, Emmanuel, God with us, it pretty much sums up the point of the whole Bible. The point of all of the scriptures from the very beginning to the very end is this, God with us. If you go all the way to the beginning, in the book of Genesis, when one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in a perfect, submitted love relationship with himself, out of an overflow of God's love for God's self, he creates everything that is. And he just speaks it into existence. And then God looks about in all of his creation and there is nothing like himself. And so he decides to create image bearers, to put his thumbprint on. The Bible says that he gathers together the dust of the earth, that word dust in 
Hebrew is Adama. That's where we get the name Adam from. He forms together the first shell of a man, but he's not yet a living being. That's what the Bible says. And then the Bible says that he breathes the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. He breathes the ruach is the Hebrew word. That word ruach means wind or breath or spirit. And the Bible wants us to know that, that he's close. He's nostril to nostril, mouth to mouth, face to face with Adam. And when he breathes, when the very first man opens his eyes and he is face to face with his creator, his heavenly father, God with us. It's what every single one of us were created for. It's why the temporary things of this world will never fully and finally satisfy. It's why before you eat lunch tomorrow, you will be bored with all the things that were gonna bring you ultimate joy because they cannot, because you were created for more than that. Amen. It's why that new job, it just can't scratch that itch that you have deep down in your soul. Why? Because you were created to be in a face-to-face -face relationship with God, God with us. And then God says, it's not good for man to be alone because, you know, a guy like that would just burn the whole place down, so he gives him a wife so he knows what to do good. And then it goes exceedingly well for like one page in my Bible. And then Adam and Eve sin. They reject God. They primarily reject God in two ways. One, through rebellion. Forget you, God. We do what we want, when we want, with who we want. And they reject him with the fruit. And then what they do when they're sin and shame, when they're aware of it, they run and hide. They begin to sow fig leaves together. And then they reject God by religion. We don't need you. By our own good works, we will cover over our sin and shame. And God walks them down into the garden, and he curses them. You see, because sin separates a holy and perfect God from sinful humanity. And when he finds them, he curses the ground that we walk on. He curses Adam. He curses Eve. And when he curses Eve, he says this. He says, I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and this enemy, this snake, this liar, this accuser, this Satan. But there will come a day when someone from your line will show up on the scene and this enemy will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. Amen. And then he makes a, a garment. For the first time in human history, the blood of an animal is shed for the covering of sin. Why? Because sin separates God with us. And for all the rest of the Old Testament, the whole rest of the Old Testament, everybody is waiting for and anticipating the serpent crusher to show up on the scene. And so God picks a man named Abraham, not because Abraham's awesome, but because God is awesome, gives him a promise that says, I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. He's talking about the serpent crusher is gonna come through his line. Through this crazy series of historical events, God's people find themselves as a slave nation under Pharaoh in Egypt. God finds an unlikely hero named Moses. He goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Through a whole bunch of miracles and plagues, the, the, the nation of Israel leave Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And as they're wandering around in the desert, God shows up and says, all right, we got a problem here. We have a holy God with an unholy people. What shall we do with this? And so what he does is he gives them the law, all of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, the 600 plus laws and commandments, the festivals, the holidays, and especially the temple was all set up for one reason, so that people could make atonement so that unholy people could be with a holy God. All of the old covenant was about God with us. 
And the reason that God chose Israel is so that they could be a light in a dark place, so that they could be a city on a hill, so that the whole world would see their covenant relationship with the one true God and that they could share that relationship with those people so that they could know the one true God. And just like religious people have a tendency to do, they began to make it all about the rules and religiosity and turn their backs on the relationship with the one true God. And so by the time you get to Christmas, the very first Christmas, by the time you get to the New Testament, there was this idea of insiders and outsiders and clean and unclean and those people and God's people. And then Jesus is going to show up on the scene and says, no, 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 no. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God and the Word put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, came on a rescue mission, not for good people, not for nice people, not for church people, but for all people. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we get is the Word became flesh, that God became a man so that men and women could become sons and daughters of God. And this is how he announces it. In Luke chapter two, here's how we know that this gospel, this good news is for all people. The Bible says this, Luke, Luke 2, eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Now here's the thing, man. If you've been to enough Christmas Eve services or Christmas pageants and you've seen your nephew in like a bathrobe with like a little crook and you're like, aren't sheep great? They're cool in a pageant, not cool in the first century. They were rednecks, not the good kind. They were shady. They couldn't testify in a court of law. Most of them didn't have a permanent address. They weren't even allowed to go into the synagogue. These men were shady, shady, shady. Listen, I do a lot of hunting. I sit around a lot of campfires out in the woods, mostly with good godly 1122ers, and there's some shady stuff that happens there. You understand what I'm saying? You don't even know what's going on here. And so when the angel shows up and says, behold, have no fear, do you know why they're filled with fear? Because they think, uh-oh, we're busted. Anybody, anybody ever get your name called on the intercom when you were like elementary school, middle school, anybody? I got mine called many much times. As often as you would imagine, it was like that. And every single time they're like, please send Joby Martin to the office. Not one time did I think, you know what? I probably want a prize. They probably have a prize for me. <laughs> Never once. I thought, oh no, they know. <clears throat> and the angels show up on the scene and say, behold. And they go, oh no, he knows. That's what they think. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That when God makes his announcement that the rescue mission has begun and the serpent crusher is on the scene, he does not start with the religious people in Jerusalem. He starts with a group of all people sitting out in the fields. Then listen to this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not a teacher, not a rabbi, not a miracle worker, not a person that wants to start a religion but a savior, why? Because just like the angel told Joseph, because Jesus has come to save us from our sin, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then, about 30 years after this moment, Jesus' cousin, John the baptizer, is out at the Jordan 
He's kind of got crazy facial hair. He spends a lot of time in the woods. He's got this weird Jedi robe on. You know, he's like a homeschool kid, and he's out there yelling at people. I'm pro-homeschool. Love you, homeschool people. You're the best ever, okay? Well done. Don't email me, okay? And email Santa. So, <clears throat> and he's yelling, repent, repent, repent. It's crazy. You can get a group of people together, yell at them long enough, and they'll just show up and listen, okay? And so he's dunking people, preparing people for the Lord, the servant crusher. And then one day, his cousin, Jesus of Nazareth, shows up, and he says, whoa, 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 behold, there he is. The Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the entire world. God with us. And then Jesus begins his teaching ministry, but he was not primarily a teacher. He was teaching us who God is and what it's like to be in a relationship with him. He was also teaching us how we could be made right with God. And he would teach things like this. He would, he would teach that whoever would believe in him, whoever would receive him, would receive the right to be called a son or a daughter of God. He would teach things like this, that God so loved you that he sent Jesus here. And whoever would believe that when Christ died on the cross for them, that they would not perish but would have everlasting life. And he taught that and he taught that and then he lives this perfect life. And then he goes to the cross and he doesn't only die for us, he dies instead of us. And he, on the cross he pushes up on his nail-pierced feet and he says, it is is finished and what is finished is God has done everything he needed to do to pay for our sin debt that separated us from the almighty God so that we could be returned to him to be in that face-to-face -face relationship with him and he says it is finished but he wasn't finished they put him in a borrowed tomb and the reason it was borrowed is because he only needed it for the weekend he got up out of that grave put death to death and then ascended to the right hand of God the Father Amen. And anyone who would believe, whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible starts with God with us. The whole Old Testament is about God with us. The Gospels, the New Testament is about God with us. And then if you get to the very, very end to the book of Revelation, it is about this, God with us. That anybody that would put their faith in Jesus Christ, when you breathe your last here on this planet, and you breathe your next in eternity, because of the blood of Jesus, you will be with him forever and ever and ever. Here's how Revelation says it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's what you have been created for, God with us. And the thing that makes heaven heaven is not the friends and family you hope to see there. It's not the streets of gold. It's not the good music. The things that makes heaven heaven is this, Emmanuel, God with us. And the message of Christmas the message of this rescue mission is that God was willing to do whatever it took to rescue his children. You see, every single one of us have somebody that we would risk it all for. And if you don't, you're not doing it right. Every single one of us have somebody that we would sell it all, that we would risk it all for. About five or six years ago, me and some friends of mine, <clears throat> we went to Atlanta. So. Um, at my house, we're Georgia Bulldog fans because um, we're believers, so it only makes sense, right? And so, 
I mean, my Bible's written in red and black, so just take it up with the Lord. So we had this tradition for a while when my son was younger, now we're into Friday Night Lights, so we, we kind of put a little pause on it, but me and JP and then some buddies of mine and their sons, we would go to Athens, and we would usually go to the opening game of the year for many reasons. One, it was Labor Day weekend, and I usually take that weekend off. It's usually around my birthday. That's cool. And Georgia typically schedules like the biggest cupcake team of the year, and that's my favorite kind of game to go to. I don't need to go to a close game. I don't need stress. I have you. You understand what I'm saying? I just wanna go. I hope we win by 200. I wanna sing glory, glory to old Georgia to I don't have any voice left. I want half the stands to be gone by the end. That's the kind of game I like to go to. So anyway, that's what we do. Year after year after year, we go to the Bulldogs game. <clears throat> well, then one year, about five years ago, um, I'm also a Braves fan, and the Braves had just built the new stadium. Now it's called Truist Park, then it was SunTrust Park, and we had yet to see a game in it. So we were like, ooh, we have an idea. Let's go up Saturday for the Bulldog game, and then we'll stick around Sunday, and after church, as we should, we'll go to the Braves game. And then the wives heard about it, and then it became a whole family trip, which is cool, man, so proud. Because this family that we hang out with, they're like family, you know what I mean? They, they're like as close as blood. Our kids have grown up together. They all love each other. We love them. It's super cool. So we all go together. Saturday, as we should, we go to the Georgia game. We won. I think the score was 7,000 to nothing. You know what I mean? It's like that. It was awesome. We were playing Austin P. I don't even know what that is, but we beat the mud out of them. It was great. <clears throat> then we drive up to Atlanta, <clears throat> and we're staying at this hotel uh, right beside the Braves Stadium. And it was pretty swanky, all right? When you go in, it was like, it was real nice. It's not the kind of hotels that I went to when I was my kid's age. When we went to a hotel, you like walked inside, checked into the room, then you had to go back outside until you went to your room, was, was to the outside. You know what I mean, remember those? Okay, so it was not like this. <clears throat> when you walked in this one, it had like an atrium that was massive. And there was nothing in the middle. There was a bunch of like shops and stuff all around the edge. But you could look up and you could see all the way, it was about, I think it was 12 stories to the inside of the ceiling. This place is massive. We're like, that's cool, so we get all checked in. And then Reagan and her friends, uh, Wiley and Windsor, go to their room to just do whatever girls do. And then the boys and me and my wife and Big Mac and his wife, we went to this little like bar and grill stuff. And I sit down and I order, I order some chicken wings and some refreshments, because my throat was parched because I'd been singing glory, glory to old Georgia many times that day, okay? So <clears throat> as we're sitting there waiting, um, waiting on the wings, this, this alarm sounds. Fire, fire, please move to the exits. Fire, fire. And I did what any good dad would do. I just sat there. It's, like, it's probably nothing. I mean, I got wings coming, right? So. <clears throat> so my friend McCarthy, he's like, well, let's, let me check. And so he gets up and he walks out to the atrium and when he looks up, he immediately spins and runs back in with a panicky look on his face. And this ain't a panicky dude, okay? He's like a stay calm kind of guy, man. He's pretty chill all the time. And he's like, bro, it's a fire. And so, as soon as I'm getting up, here come the wings. <clears throat> I walk out into the atrium, and when I look up, it's not like a little bit of smoke. It's not like, could that be steam? Smoke and these little fire flashes are, it's like billowing out of the ceiling. And I think it's 12 stories and my daughter's on the 10th floor. And my mind goes to all the places where every mama and daddy mind goes, right? Oh, no. And I mean, it, it, there's like a panic. All I can think is, Reagan is on the 10th floor, I'm down here, I have to get there. 
it's kind of getting a little bit chaotic. I run up to this hotel employee. I'm like, hey, where are the stairs? Because they had these like glass, uh, glass elevators, but they weren't working because of the fire alarm. And I go, hey, where are the stairs? And they're like, oh, they're over in the corner, I think. And so I run over there and I open the door. It's like a banquet hall. It's not, it's a closet. So I go find somebody else. Hey, where are the stairs? Now there's more people. You can start to smell the smoke. When you look up now, it's like overtaking one of the floors. Again, my mind is in the worst place you can imagine. I go, where are the stairs? And somebody points. I go, it's not the stairs. I go up to this third guy and I say, hey man, where are the stairs? And he points and I grabbed him by the shoulders and I said, where are the, and I used an adjective, (laughs) stairs. And he tried to tell me, and so like any good pastor, I laid my hands on him and said, you're not gonna point me, you're gonna walk me to the stairs. And meanwhile, this little kid came up, because I, I told him at one point, go find the stairs, and he thinks I'm gonna kill this guy, so he's like, mister, mister. And so I, I'm like, what's up? And so he takes me to the stairs. <clears throat> I'm running as hard as I can, running. Gretchen comes running up beside me. And again, man, I don't know what we're going into, and so I, I said, you can't come with me. You can't, one of us has to be down here. You have to stay here. Like if I gotta go in, one of us has to be here. And the other thought I had is this, I had on flip-flops. My daddy used to always say, the only thing you can do in flip-flops is get your butt kicked. And that's a fact, okay? I think it's in the Proverbs, I'm not 100% sure, but. <clears throat> and I'm literally thinking in my head, I'm literally thinking, do I kick them off so that I can run faster or do I kick them on, keep them on because if John McClain taught us anything, you might have to like walk over broken glass or walk through the fire. That's literally what I'm thinking. So I open the door, I get to the stairwell. <clears throat> There's a sea of people coming down. And I think I got to get, I got to go, man. And so I go huffing it up the steps. And listen, man, I ain't trained for this. <laughs> I don't know why you laugh, hurt my feeling, man. What is wrong with you people? Now, I've told you, if you're a regular here, you've heard me tell you I don't run. If you see me running, call the police. Something's going horribly wrong, okay? Something had gone horribly wrong. The place is on fire, and I got to go get my, my kit. And I'm running as hard as I can, and about every floor and a half, there would be a hotel employee saying, sir, you can't come up here. And I'm like, that's cute. And I just put them in the crowd, here we go. And I get to about the fifth floor, and when I turn the corner, the hotel workers honestly did great. They knocked on all the doors. Our girls answered, they said, come with us, and they were walking with them down the stairwell. And as I'm going up, I turn one corner, and I see Reagan, and I see Windsor, and I see Wiley, and I just thought in that moment, oh, thank God, my worst nightmare has not come true. And I kind of fall through the crowd, and I get to them, and I take all three of them, and I just wrap my arms around. Two of them aren't even mine, but they kind of grew up with me, so it was okay, you know? And I just grabbed all three, and I just squeezed them in here, and I was like, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. These are three preteen girls, so there's a lot of emotion on a normal day. You add a fire and no dad for a minute, and I mean, it was like, <laughs> and then they cried too. You understand what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot going on. <clears throat> so at this point, man, I kind of huddled up. And we, we just get in line. We come down with everybody. We get everybody connected with their family. They were standing outside our hotel because it was on fire, so we couldn't go back in. So we went to a wing place because I had my mind set on wings. And as we're sitting at the second wing place, I mean, Reagan is still upset, man. She's still emotional, I'm trying to calm her down. I'm like, baby, here's what I need you to know. I don't care what's going on, I don't care what the circumstances are, I don't care where you are or what you've done, there is nothing on this planet that could keep me from coming after you. I would walk through fire for you. Now here's the thing, man. There's nothing unique about me as a dad, is there? 
every mama, every daddy, every grandparent, every aunt, every uncle would do whatever it takes to go and rescue the kid that you love. That night, we're all laying in bed. We pushed our beds together. So it was like Daytona. We were four wide in there, okay? <laughs> and Reagan says, Daddy? Yeah, baby. She says, you would walk through fire for me? Of course I would walk through fire for you. Do you realize that the message of Christmas is just that? For God so loved you that he was there and you were there. And he didn't just think about a thing. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission to literally walk through the fires of hell and pay the price and die on the cross and spill his blood and to walk through the hell of whatever you've been going through so that not only could you be forgiven of your sins, but that you could be adopted into the family of God forever and ever and ever, and so that the name God with us would be your reality for all eternity. Listen, being a Christian, it ain't easy. But it's simple to put your trust in Jesus. It's as simple as ABC. It's as simple as A, admitting it, I need a savior. You're right, I need a savior. My way's not working. I need to be saved from my sins and I admit it and I believe, I, be, I believe that somehow when Christ died on the cross, that counted for me. And if you admit it, you need a savior and you believe that Jesus came on a rescue mission for you, then the Bible says that you should confess. Confess him as your Lord. And for all who call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. For anybody that says, all right, God, I need a savior, here I am, would you save me? Through your son, Jesus Christ, that's a prayer he answers 100% of the time. So I wanna give you that opportunity right now. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? And if you would say, yep, that's me, that's me. I admit it. I don't need to just try harder and do better. I need a savior. And I believe, I trust that somehow when Christ died on the cross, it counted for me. And in this moment, for the very first time in my life, I am ready to confess him as my Lord and savior. If that's you, would you lift your hand high where you are and say, Father, here I am, save me. Praise God, praise God. And it's not a hand in the air that saves you. It's Christ's finished work on the cross that accomplishes that. And I praise God for every single one of you right now that are submitting your life to Jesus Christ. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you more than anything, and we thank you that this is love. Not that we love you, but you loved us, and you sent your son Jesus on a rescue mission for us. And God, I thank you for the men, for the women, for the children, for the students that right now are receiving the greatest gift of all time, that they are receiving the gift of faith that they may be forgiven of their sin, adopted into the family with you, and be face-to-face -face with you forever and ever and ever. God, we thank you and we praise you. We pray all of this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Church, <clears throat> would you please stand to your feet as we respond? We respond to the gospel around here because the gospel demands it and God deserves it. And one of the ways that we respond is by prayer because Listen, if you know God as your father, he loves you and he, like a good dad, wants you. And the Bible instructs us to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. We have carpets and prayer rails down here. And so whether you wanna come and give him thanks or there is something you need him to move in your life for, won't you come and pray? And if you're a regular here, this is the time where we bring our tithes and our offerings. 
that we worship God with our resources by saying, God, you are first and you loved us first by sending your best in your son, Jesus, so we bring back to you a portion to worship you. Most of us around here do it on the app or online or you can drop it on the way out in one of the giving boxes. And then we're gonna sing. And if you've got one of these, you can light your candle by turning it on. If you need to use your phone, that's fine. And we're gonna sing Silent Night, Holy Night. And we're gonna proclaim that Jesus was Lord at his birth. So let's pray, let's sing, let's bring, let's respond.